A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Opal, Drogheda to Dorkin Cavan. Discover the all-new Opal Mocha, featuring Opal's iconic new signature visor, stunning Opal Pure Panel, and a choice of petrol, diesel, or fully electric. The new Opal Mocha is less normal, more Mocha. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. I'm bet, as they say, I'm really bet today. It's warmer than yesterday, isn't it? It is. For sure, it's warmer. It it is. I, I just feel it for the last while. The heat, it really is oppressive. And last night, it wasn't easy to get shut eye, was it? Uh, lots and lots of people struggling with the heat. Uh, looks like the the good news is that it's going to move away over the next 24 hours or so. But uh, just in the last few moments, it's been confirmed in the UK that they've set a new all-time record. 40.2 degrees at Heathrow in London. The previous high is 38.7 at Cambridge in July 2019. We must be in the mid to high 30s here ourselves and I'm sure we may hear about a record before the end of the day. So, is this exceptional? Is it important of things to come in the future? I'm delighted to welcome back uh, to Late Lunch Emeritus Professor at the Geography Department in Maynooth University and one of our foremost experts and commentators on climate change, Professor John Sweeney. Lovely to have you with us again. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank you for joining me. John, I remember 76. Well, I was running around in short pants at the time. 95 was another. Oh, what a summer 95 was as well. John, what's the difference now? Well, the difference really is that the, the kind of events you described, they, they were a long way apart, um, and neither of them were as, as hot as we've had in the last day here in Ireland. So what we're seeing now is really, um, and especially in the UK, we're seeing evidence of climate change really coming before our eyes. That 40-degree value that you just mentioned that had been exceeded at Heathrow Airport... Um, in 1970, um, when you weren't even a twinkle in your mother's eye, <laughs> uh, in 1970, uh, that was reckoned to be a once-in-1,000-year occurrence. Mm. Um, today, it's reckoned to be a once-in-86-year occurrence. And that's been a sort of very symptomatic of the way in which we now have telescoped down the, the frequency of these extreme events. And we know what's 
driving them is climate change because we can now, uh, we've had great advances in climate science in the past few years and one of them, to my mind, has been the ability to run computer models, not once, as, as I did in my youth. Um, I used to send a model off to Sweden and come back the next day for one result. Now we can run the same kind of models, not once, but a hundred times or a thousand times. And we can run them with pre-industrial levels of carbon dioxide and current levels of carbon dioxide for another thousand or a hundred times and say, how often do we get a heat wave like this in the current times as opposed to the previous conditions. And what comes out is really alarming because it tells us that the kind of extremes we're now experiencing are between 10 and 100 times more probable as a result of what we've done to the atmosphere. And that's kind of really proof of the fact that we're no longer in control or nature is no longer in control of those extremes. They're being driven by what we're doing. And to give you another example, I mean, the the UK have estimated that to get another summer like 2018, for example, we're now 30 times more likely to have that kind of hot summer. And the, the 1995 and the 1976 you mentioned were probably of the order of 10 to 100 times more likely to experience those again. And yesterday, of course, um, we saw ah, we saw that that, horror, that really um, awful heat that we all had yesterday. I was kind of hoping yesterday that, that the record wouldn't be broken in the Phoenix Park. I thought, wouldn't it be great if it was broken in some place like ovens and cork or New, Newport Furnace and Mayo or even Boyle and Sligo, how appropriate that would be. But I didn't want it to be broken in Burr, obviously. But, but you know, that's, that's the way we are now. We're, we're now just waiting for the next extreme to come. And we know that that 30 degrees that we had in the Phoenix Park yesterday, well, it's probably going to be topped in the next year or two. Uh, And that's been standing since June 1887, that record temperature. So it's telling us, it's sending us a signal that, you know, we're, we're on the road here to increasing extremes. If you take the hottest day in England since 1960, the temperature has increased by one degree every decade since 1960. So the hottest day now is six degrees warmer than the hottest day was in the summers in the 1960s. And that's the kind of escalator we're on also here in Ireland. We're going to face those extremes coming at us more frequently, coming at us more, in a more um, I suppose, from a higher platform because we've warmed by one degree uh, and we have to face the fact this is the price we're going to pay for, for not tackling climate change. It's not a surprise to climatologists, but it's coming, I think, as a, as a, a wake-up call for many people that you know, what was being talked about for many years is now hitting them between the eyes, really. So a couple of things cross my mind, John, as you uh, speak there. And these two issues, number one, carbon, you've mentioned a couple of times, and we are responsible as human beings for this. Is enough done being done to tackle that? And when you look at us in 2022, is it too late? Well, the short answer to both questions is no. Um, To the first one, you know, you only have to go to what the United Nations Secretary General is is saying at the moment about our efforts to control carbon emissions. And he's really saying the world is on red alert uh, and and really we're in the last chance saloon almost if we want to make a stab at, uh, at avoiding some of these dangerous 
temperature thresholds that we know will trigger maybe ir- irreversible changes in, in many parts of the world. Um, and the second question, well, you know, is it too late? It's never too late because if we act now, we can avoid the worst consequences down the road. Um, and we have to be hopeful that, you know, we, we will get sense, if you like, and the next generation will have more sense than, than old geezers like me and my generation, and that they will see the essential nature of the problem that we have to solve and the, and the way in which to tackle it uh, ahead more clearly and not be blown off course by vested interest groups such as we have in Ireland over many years. So I am hopeful that uh, we, we will we will at least avoid some of the really worst excesses down the road. But there's no doubt that we, we face many years ahead of us here where we're going to have to just uh, face facts that we're going to be paying a lot of taxpayers' money to protect ourselves, to adapt ourselves to what's coming down the road. An interesting question from a listener, a climate sceptic perhaps. Can we trust that uh, figure from over 100 years ago in Kilkenny, given, you know, the technology that was then and now, John? Well, they were very meticulous in those days about about taking observations. And yes, your listener is right that, you know, there certainly there was issues in terms of the quality of the glass and the exposure of the instrument. But, you know, that, that, that Kilkenny wasn't the only place recording high temperatures around that time. It was the one that recorded the highest. But uh, I think we can rely on the fact that, you know, people were very conscientious then and, and they took their early observations very carefully indeed. If we didn't, um, you know, we, we know we have much more sophisticated means of measuring in the 20th century and we got up to 32.5 in the 20th century. So we're still on that same scale, if you like, of, of now today exceeding both the 20th and the 21st century records when we had good records. And even if we want to cast some doubts on on those earlier days, it doesn't absolve us from really realising that, um, you know, we're on an escalating scale away from what we think of in the past as, as Irish normal climates. I've uh, been reading with interest what you've been uh, quoted as saying as well in the last 24 hours or so. You do point to the fact that in the east where we are here, the drier summers are going to affect us immensely. But for the west, the bigger issue is going to be rainfall. Now, it seems funny to talk about rainfall, John, at a time of year when we're sweltering. But you see rain and uh, winter rains as uh, a real danger to us. Yeah, I think, you know, to be frank, we wouldn't mind a few degrees of summer warmth in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that that's something that won't worry us too much. It will cause problems in how we manage our water supply in the east, where there will be a lot more competition for water between the big cities that all are located in the east and um, uh, agricultural demand for water, which will increase as well. But I think, you know, rainfall is the key variable for Ireland in the future in terms of climate change, because extra rainfall in the winter is not going to be welcomed uh, in any shape or form, and it will enhance the flood problem, especially uh, in Western Ireland. And I think that's where we'll be spending a lot of taxpayers' money protecting communities, adapting communities, to flood levels that we haven't seen before, just as we're now seeing temperature levels that we haven't seen for 200, for 130 years. Uh, so we're going to see flood problems emerge uh, and have to protect ourselves to those. So I think that's going to be the difficulty. And of course, on the East Coast, just as we speak, the 
is a lovely big thunderstorm moving up the coast now with thunder and lightning. And we will get, even in summer, torrential downpours from high-intensity rainfall events, which may give us flash flooding problems even in the middle of a dry summer. So there's a lot of consequences, I think, that we have to bear in mind here in terms of, of, of what issues we're facing in the future, how we're going to spend money protecting people and how we're going to, if you like, uh, justify not pulling our own weight internationally in terms of, of reducing our own carbon and greenhouse gas emissions. When you mention international there, we are a small island off uh, the western extremes of Europe and we have our part to play. You've spoken to us about this in the past, but in the greater picture and uh, you look at the world. I saw a very interesting chart. I'm sure you saw it yourself on the BBC where they showed a picture back in 76 of the world and the various hot zones. And they uh, did the very same exercise uh, very recently, John. And it is alarming, as you know, to see the rise in temperature right around this globe again I come back to this point are the big powers committed uh, politicians, the leaders who generally look at being re-elected which is their big goal and continuing in power, is the commitment there? I don't think it's there sufficiently, I think you're quite right there when we look at the, the, the big major emitters of China and the United States um, I would like to see a stronger commitment to actually reducing emissions and uh, having said that, you know, we, we have to face the reality that, that nation states, they act in their own self-interest first and foremost. Mm. They don't give too much uh, consideration to what the consequences there are for smaller countries. We see that, of course, even within countries. We see national self-interest. We see uh, sectoral self-interest even applying at the moment within Ireland where sectors are jostling for position to get the best deal they can, irrespective of what it means in terms of a burden on the rest of society. But I think, you know, the, the only way ahead to solve this problem is multilateral action. We can't expect countries to, to simply roll over and uh, tax their exports in, in, in a way which other countries are not. So I think we have to have international agreements. And we've made some progress along that road over the years, but it's really desperately slow, to be honest. And we, you know, we've seen that at the various COPs. But that doesn't, having said all that, it doesn't absolve every country from doing its best and, and making its best effort to tackle this because we can't point the finger at China. We can't point the finger at the United States or at India if we are self uh, exceeding our own targets, exceeding our own legal limits, and we are the third largest greenhouse gas emitter per capita in, in the EU at the moment. So if anybody can point the finger, the finger can be pointed at Ireland despite the small size of the island. And finally, John, before we finish, there are people listening to us today wondering, what can I do? The power of one, which is uh, very powerful, we have to say. What would you say to listeners today they could do in small steps to help? Yeah, I think um, the first thing I would say is don't feel uh, excessively guilty. Don't feel you're being climate shamed uh, because, you know, the, the, we can all do something, but we require big leadership to actually achieve uh, the, the, the big scale events that we need to, to come to. But from an individual point of view, uh, the first thing you can do is, is look at your house insulation and look at your energy efficiency in the way you run your house. I mean, 
Um, if you're burning uh, fuel uh, that's going out the, out the chimney or, or, or out the walls in the winter, you're burning money. And you can look at how well your house is insulated because it will pay for itself in a matter of a few years if you get a properly insulated house. And secondly, uh, when you're out buying things, Look at the energy efficiency of your appliances. Look at that little rainbow bar that you often ignore um, in your on the fridge sales or on the freezer or on the dishwasher or, or washing machine because many of them have much, much greater uh, energy efficiency use and you'll save money in the long term uh, from doing that. And thirdly, of course... Um, Try and leave the car at home if you can for short journeys. Um, I mean, try and get out and walk or cycle if you can. Um, I know it's not always easy in rural Ireland to do that, but many of us take short, very short journeys to either drop kids at school or go to the shops. And, you know, we, we could often, um, and I'm, I'm a hypocrite, I have to tell you, Jerry, I, I'm as guilty as anybody, but, you know, I think we all should look at the, the way we run our own transport systems as well. And all of those small things. Um, uh, they're all helpful. A, I listened to an African saying uh, this morning, which I thought very good, and, and it was, if you think little things don't matter uh, or, or can't make a difference, spend a night with a mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was very good, you know. <laughs> brilliant, John. Brilliant and a lovely way to bring to a conclusion our conversation today. I always thank you for your time and appreciate it. Thank you so much, John. OK, Jerry. Bye-bye. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Professor John Sweeney there, Emeritus Professor at Maynooth University. And a few pointers there for everybody that we could take on board and do ourselves. And we all, you know, we all can do that little bit more, but at the end of the day we do need the leadership from the top and the big countries to affect the change because I've no doubt in my mind it is changing and changing for the worse for future generations. If you have anything to say we'd love to hear from you on the show this afternoon 086-1800-658 you can WhatsApp or text me to the show and we'll be back with more on Late Lunch in a moment. Louise and other consequences of the heat to tell you about. I love to have something to eat you know, in the mornings, mid-morning, you know, doing the show here, you're not available to eat at lunchtime. Sure, how many years are we like this? Anyway, I like to have, in the wintertime, a soup, say, about 11, half 11. You know, for the break time, which would be mm-hmm. break time for many people, I like to have a sandwich. Or that. Anyway, same today. Um, got the bread out, <laughs> some ham. I had homemade potato salad, a little bit of mustard on it, mug of tea. I'm sitting there eating away, working as I mean. I love to eat and I'd be, you know me, rooting around the things and... I got this taste in me mouth. <laughs> After I cut the sandwich into four lovely squares. I'd eaten two. I was on about the third. Oh, you're one of those people that cut them into four. Yeah, I cut them into four Ooh. just for today. Just a little bit of an afternoon tea thing, you know. Just I know, kids did that. Normally, I don't. I mill in. <laughs> but today, I made four little squares. Nice size squares with loaf bread. But the third one, I got a bit of a wang of a taste in me mouth. You know what I mean? Right. And I had a look at the bread <laughs> round the edges. She was blue. Blue. She was blue round the edges. Mouldy. And did you not see when you were buttering the bread? I just didn't cop it. It must have been on one side of my body. (laughs) And was it over the four or just that part? (laughs) It was probably on the others, but sure, it was that fiag. I wasn't thinking about it. Whatever. I just got the taste at that stage. Yet the bread was. I I swallowed some mould. I did. I swallowed. (laughs) What was the taste like? (laughs) She was lovely with the mustard and the potato salad and the ham. (laughs) Sure, disguised the whole lot. It was great. 
But, but it was obviously a different off taste. Yeah, well, I, lo- I looked at then, looked at last. And so I just went then and got a knife and took off the edge pieces off the, the other two and just finished them off then. And was it not a strange taste of the rest of the bread? Not at all. But you're not meant to do that, Jerry. Why? Because that's only the visible part of the mould. The mould, <laughs> the, the roots grow through the bread. Oh, listen, listen. It's all inside the bread. I'm recovering from COVID. I need every microorganism I can get into my body to help me. I'm looking for that at the moment. Wouldn't You're full of penicillin. Isn't that what that's <laughs> exactly. made of? <laughs> Wouldn't do you a bit of harm. Wouldn't do you an absolute bit of harm. Oh, no, I couldn't. Oh, no, not out at of all. Went. Not at all, it wouldn't. <laughs> I actually laughed when I saw it. I said to myself, oh, God, that potato salad was top class, all right. I never <laughs> got it till the third sandwich. But uh, won't wouldn't do you a bit of harm. But uh, the point is this. Bread's gone off quick this weather with the heat. Mm. You, you know, the heat is just, it's deteriorating more quickly. And, and that's certainly a fact. I have a bread press. I love, I keep the bread in a press and that. I must check the other stuff out now. But uh, I keep the bread in the freezer and I take yeah, out what I need. You see, that's the thing. I, I think that's probably the best way to go. Or in the fridge. Could you put the bread in the fridge? Uh, Would it keep it okay? I don't know. I've never put it in the fridge. I just put it in the freezer and like say if the kids were yeah. sandwiches. So I take out six slices or whatever I need. And how long and do you then, leave it? Just a few hours. I doesn't even take a half an hour. It'll to defrost. But you can put defrost in the toaster. You can put anyway. it in the toasters, right? Oh, you can do that straight away. Help us, help us! You're great in late lunch land. Could you keep your bread in the fridge, folks? Anyone put the bread in the fridge in this type of weather, or is it the whole hog like Louise? You better putting her in the freezer and taking it out as you need mm-hmm. it. But here, tell me this: if you put it in the freezer and it's a pan or a loaf and you've all them slices, you nearly need a sledgehammer to break the slices away from. No, the, no, I've never come. No, they all just they just come across. They'll, they will. They'll yeah, come, easily. Come apart easy. Yeah. Fridge. Go got on. another little hack. Yeah. You know, at this weather as well, if you leave the butter out, it just melts to yes. nothing. But if you leave it in the fridge and take it out and try and put it on the bread, you get lumps or whatever. Yeah. And if you cut off a piece and put it in the microwave, chances are it just, you know, burns or melts okay. completely. So, but if you get a bowl of very hot water like you do and just put the butter a little bit of butter over it it melts perfectly that you no just bother. spread no over bother. the hot water mm. suspend it over it mm. don't put it into the hot water just only for like a few whatever and there's, there's, there's Louise with so it goes soft it's your butter hacking late lunch this you afternoon you never thought of that one chunks of butter all over the bread well what I want to know is anyone keep their bread in their fridge or is it freezer the whole hog? 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text if you, if you can give me not go a, hard a in pointer on that one. I don't know. I'd love to know if that's mm. the case. You know the way if you make a sandwich you put it in the, in the, in the fridge for later, the bread yeah. comes out a little bit hard. Ah, yeah, you'd have to wrap it in cling foil or something. Mm. Or uh, cling film, not even... Cling foil, I've invented a new... A new <laughs> did you ever hear of cling foil in your friendly. life? Cling film or, or foil, yes, it's one or the other. Anyway, uh, let us know, please. We'd love to hear from you on Late Lunch. Coming up after two, the holistic gardener, Fian O'Neillon, is with us. He knows about keeping cool in hot weather. Anyway, we're heading up towards news and weather top of the hour in the company of the wonderful Mr. Niall Horn. He's on the loose. Like me bread this morning. I'm feeling a bit loose. I know she's like she's out of her mind and wraps herself around the truth. She jumped for that flight and meet you dead. Louise, don't we just love late lunch listeners? Tell them what one listener has just done for us. Yes. Thanks, Mary. Mary went to the trouble of actually going to her slice pan and taking a picture of the storage instructions at the back. And they say? 
Store in a cool, dry place, ideally not refrigerated. So mm. not in the fridge. Under warm conditions, shelf life may be reduced. Please don't listen to Jerry Kelly about eating mould. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine they have that on the wrapper yeah, already. The Aren't they fantastic? <laughs> Oh, well done to the bread manufacturers. Thank you, Mary, so much for that and going to the trouble and actually sending us in the recommendations. Mm. Kira's been on to say she hates cold bread or frozen bread. Fresh all the way. Should we all love fresh all the way? Absolutely. Fresh bread is the ideal. There's a good suggestion and there's a couple of them in the same boat. Um, Jerry, you're not supposed to keep bread in the fridge. Something to do with the yeast. Mm. Louise is right. Put a few slices in freezer bags and take them out as needed. They take no time to defrost, says Wendy. And that's what that's basically yep. what you were saying as well. Somebody else there saying that they take out two, four or six slices and put them into individual bags as well. Wrap them and put them in the freezer. Good idea too, I have to say. Here's Ken McCabe. Listen to what Ken has to say. Jerry, definitely the fridge in this weather. And I'm going to give you a tip. Cut a few slits in the wrapper of the bread and then you won't get moisture creating inside. Oh. No. There's an interesting one. Never heard that before, uh, Ken, to be honest. Which is Sheila H has been on to us to say, in loving the programme, always keep the bread in the fridge during the summer. It stays fresh for up to go. a week. Isn't that just mm-hmm. interesting? It, uh, different views from different people. And one thing I got was there uh, from the uh, picture that Mary sent in about the freezing. Uh, you can freeze it on day of purchase. Use within one month. Okay. I must have. I probably bred about three or four months in the, fr- in the freezer. You? Yeah. Mm. So one month is the recommended time mm. to keep it for. God almighty, now that you say that, I have a lovely sourdough uh, that we bought in a Volca. It must be it must be eight months ago and it's in the freezer. I wonder what happens then. I may hop it off the wall. <laughs> no, I'll defrost it and give it to Messi. Won't be a bother on him. Mix it in with his dog food and that. Isn't he a lucky boy to be getting sourdough bread with his food? He is, for sure. Thank you for all your comments. Keep them coming to us. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Now, keeping cool is uh, very important at this time and hydrated, etc. And Louise said, we've got to give a guy a shout that we spoke to before on the show. He knows all about this stuff. He's the holistic gardener. Fianna Nulon, welcome back to Late Lunch. How are you doing, Jerry? I'm very good, and I know you're busy working away yourself today, and we're grateful that you're taking our call. Dehydration. Talk to me about it for a start. You have remedies, haven't you? I do. I mean, if you if you think of a hangover, a hangover, people often think it's alcoholic poisoning, and it's not. It's severe dehydration because you lose the alcohol, the the extra sweating if you're up dancing, the extra urination if you've been knocking back more than one jar flushes out of your body electrolytes. And the electrolytes are what causes your muscles to fire and signals to happen throughout the body. So all of the cramps, the irritation that happens with severe dehydration is what many of us are experiencing now without the benefit of having had a few drinks previous. So I often think of the word doolally, you know, to go doolally. Yes. So, so Dulali was Diwali. It was an Indian army camp near Mumbai, where you know a, a couple of Dubliners in the the, the the Fusiliers went there and said, "If you go to Diwali, you'll come back to Dulali." So, so it was that's where the original kind of dealing with heat and suffering temperatures similar to what we've had over the last couple of days. And how they dealt with it there was they either went to Lally, they, they went off their, their, their rocker and couldn't cope, or they, they drank uh, mango and banana lassies. 
So that's a drink that's in yogurt. So in the yogurt, you're getting your calcium. In the in the mango and the banana, you're getting traces of potassium and sodium. They would often put a pinch of salt into it, which is more sodium. So really what you're doing is your drink, you're replacing the natural electrolytes that you're sweating out. So the more we're sweating today, the more we need to keep drinking. Yes. But if you're just drinking water and you're just drinking tea, you're not replacing the electrolytes. You're just giving more fuel to sweat more. And if you actually put the electrolytes into your body, you will only sweat the amount that's sufficient to cool down the environment of your skin and you won't have that kind of soggy back for the, for the, for the entirety of the day. So there's all these tricks that we can pick up from the hot places around the world in terms of how they treat heat stress and heat exhaustion. And, and I would say that there's a lot of talk the last couple of days about heat stress and nobody's explaining it. And the thing is with heat stress is heat stress can be anything from kind of prickly heat and cramps and just mild irritability. It's a kind of a sliding scale it moves then into heat exhaustion, which is where you're clammy constantly. You may be dizzy, you may be nauseous. And then there's the dangerous one, which is heat stroke, which is where you get rapid heart, you get uh, difficulties in breathing, you start to feel disorientated and not really well. And that's where your body and your organs are starting to shut down with the heat. Your core temperature has gone way too high. And that's a 999 call. Where heat exhaustion, that's really about just cooling down. All the stuff that we're talking about, get in the shade, Rehydrate, fan yourself if you can, do less activities. Now, thankfully, tonight, now the worst of this is over, but with climate change and the fact that's happening, we are going to have hotter summers and more kind of health risks or what we call seasonal emergencies. So we do need to start equipping ourselves for, for, for a kind of a future yes. of a lot of this happening. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, <clears throat> you know, you mentioned there water alone, caffeinated drinks, fizzy drinks, things like that are not sufficient. I was looking at one of your concoctions and may I say, I really like it. You say get 500 mils of fruit juice, whatever you have mm-hmm. handy, add 500 mils of still water, a pinch of salt, a pinch of sugar or a dot of honey and some ice. That'll do the job, won't it? That'll do the job because what you're doing by adding in that little small bit of salt and that little bit of sugar, you're making it isotonic. So you're making it closer to your blood's natural consistency. So it absorbs into the system much, much faster than a glass of water, you know, or a cup of tea or any of the other sorts of stuff. So these are the little tricks that we can employ to be able to do stuff. And then, you know, why not have a nice tea? So maybe think about a refrigerant herb. So that's a herb that naturally cools down the body's tissue. That's stuff like lemon balm, chamomile, and mint. And mint is brilliant because if you let mint tea go cool and you put it in a little spritzer and spritzer on your face or your skin, what it actually does is it has a, a, a protein in it that changes how your skin receptors perceive heat and makes them instead perceive a coolness. So it's cooling you down, not just because it's moisture going on the skin, but because it's chemically activated to give you that cool tingle. That's why it's in kind of toothpaste and mouthwash and all that sort of stuff. So having mint on the go is is a really good thing to do. And for children, turn it into a granita or a slush puppy. You know, there there, there are ways, I mean, children really, up until they hit the ages of 10, they're not really that great at regulating their body temperature. The sweat glands haven't fully 
formed and kicked in. So we need to be really careful with the, the elderly, but we need to be really careful with the younger generation as well, because they still have bags of energy. They're still running around, you know, just across the way from me now. I'm working on a community garden crumbling. There's kids skipping. There's kids on, on push scooters with their legs going flying. There's kids with hula hoops, you know. Somebody's going to be the lally by the end of the day. Absolutely, and great <laughs> advice there, Fian. The other thing at this time of the year, with all the heat, hives, rashes, you have a great one for a calming lotion. Yeah, so, I mean, we could, again, chamomile is really calming. We can make a chamomile tea. You could mix it in with your E45 or whatever and put it on your skin. But, but really... Um, we're talking about the pH of the skin, which can cause hives or prickly heat or any of that sort of aggravation. So uh, something, again, within the, the mint type thing, you can use a little bit of toothpaste, mix it up with a bit of water and put it on. Or you can use um, baking soda, um, put that on the, on the, 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 the skin by carbonate of soda. That brings the pH back to an alkaline. That lessens the sweating. If you're getting prickly heat where you're having those kind of tingles and, and nasty rashes that kind of are, are, are itching, well, what you can do is you can take a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory that's in your kitchen, which is vinegar. The acetic acid and vinegar is the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, which will take down the inflammation. Now, you will smell of a bag of chips for the rest of the day, <laughs> but you won't be tearing itchy. <laughs> I love it, Fian. I wouldn't be a bit concerned about smelling like a bag of chips at all, to be honest, which I think it's one of the nicest smells in the world. Um, but I'm looking at at, at, at one of your, your complete recipes here. And just for listeners, I'm just going to read it out to them because I know you're out and about today. A tablespoon of baking soda, a tablespoon of salt, three tablespoons of zinc ointment, 10 drops of lavender essential mm. oil and then a strong cup of chamomile tea uh, giving you the fluid to make the lotion. Is that the, the full combination That's there? That's it and you literally just whip it up with a hand whisk or you can, if you have a, a food processor you can do it that way. It will keep in the fridge for about two weeks um, and again by having it in the fridge when you're applying it to the skin it goes on cool. Zinc is really good. Zinc is one of those things that, A, it's a barrier protection against the sun. It's used in most kind of sunblocks. But also zinc causes your skin cells to uh, shed any dead skin cells and speed recovery from UVS damage. So even though in some parts of the country today it's a little bit hazy, it doesn't have the full glare of the sun since yesterday, the UV level is still really high. You're still going to get the radiation borne off the sun. So that's the sun borne in the bad way. It's one that, you know, it's not that you've been in the sun all day slowly getting red. You don't even notice it. And all of a sudden you have edema in the skin and all of the kind of irritating uh, effects of, of, of sunburn. Fian, you're fantastic. I love every time I talk to you. Thank you so much for sending us on our way with that wonderful advice today in this particular heat. Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Jerry. I'm off to get the pan out of the freezer. <laughs> Good on you, Fian. Bye-bye, bye-bye. That's Bye. Fian O'Neill on there. And he has a range of different books, The Holistic Gardener, Seeds of Mindfulness, etc. Check him out. 
make sure to squeeze the air out of the bag first. There you go. That moisture thing that Ken was telling us about as well a little earlier on. Thanks indeed uh, for your advice to the show today. I had mouldy bread for me sandwich today. That's why we're chatting about this. If you're just joining us on LMFM's Late Lunch this afternoon and at this time every Tuesday if you're with us you will know that it's time for your two on Tuesday. We play a song that made number two in the UK charts but just never quite made it to the top spot. And my choice today was number two for two weeks, November 26th and December 3rd, 1989. It was originally released in 1980 by one of its co-writers, Barry Mann. It was a minor hit for him in the USA. Bette Midler gave it a go in 83 with middling success, boom, boom. However, it would be the Linda Ronstadt, Aaron Neville version that would enjoy greater success with a love song for the ages. Look at this face I know the years are showing Look at this life I still don't know where it's going I don't know much But I know I love you And that may be all I need to know Radio Romance song. Your late lunch on LMFM this Tuesday afternoon. God, it was spun many a times on the show, I'm sure. Louise, I heard a great story about that song. Um, a couple, a boy and a girl, were in their, one of their parents' uh, Jeep or something driving somewhere when they were in their teens, you know, your early teens. And that song played on the radio and the young lad said to the girl, I'll marry you someday. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) 30 years went by. They went their separate ways. And 30 years later, they hadn't met for all this time. They got back together and they married. And that song was their first song. That they danced to. What a lovely story. Real old soppy one, that, isn't it? But anyway, that is a a true story, uh, the background to that song. Do you remember that? Do you remember that song in the the charts? What year was it? Uh, 89, late 89, (gasps) December 89. It was number two in the charts. But it didn't make number one. And why didn't it make number one? Because there was a more popular song that sold more at the time. And here it is. Let's have a listen. I'd have pulled it sooner, but there's a little voice in my ear saying, don't go near that, no. let it play, let it play. I'd have left it for the final minute as well. <laughs> you preferred that one, did you? Oh yeah, new kids on the block. Yes. Oh yeah, much better. Uh, I can even see them dancing. And I think I can see you dancing. What was that nightclub in Carrick Macross called? 
The Oasis. The Oasis. I'm sure on the Oasis that was played many times. Oh, Did you ever go to the Oasis? So. Did you ever go to the Oasis? <laughs> Twice. Ah. On a bus from Navin. Yeah, it? there was like <laughs> four or five buses went. Oh, it was Massive big, amount. Wasn't it? People yeah. went from everywhere to the Oasis. It was the place to go, wasn't All it? All the way it to Carrick. Really Imagine. Was. <laughs> and back on the bus. How romantic that was. But anyway. <laughs> two nightclubs in Navin and you went to the Oasis. <laughs> what were the two in Navin? The Ardboyne. Yeah, and the Ardboyne. The Ardboyne. And the Beachman. Oh, Before Beach the Newgrange. Man. Yeah, yeah. And then Newgrange came, of course. Many, many famous spots that people danced to over the years. Anyway, they I, were a brilliant I, boy band. So you prefer the number one yeah. from the two on Absolutely. this Tuesday. There you go. They Live were, here. they were, they were, oh, those guys were huge at the mm. time. They really, really were. And they had a, a string of hits, of course, as well. New Kids on the Block. You got it. The right stuff. Number one, keeping our two and Tuesday off number one this Tuesday afternoon and you're late lunch um, anyway I, I might be able to anyway you got the right stuff <laughs> yeah today <laughs> it seems like it doesn't it you might even make the Wednesday Club alive tomorrow <laughs> uh, hopefully fingers crossed man above looking at me and everything uh, I won't be too bad having eaten the, blo- the blue mould you're telling me no well I googled and according to a uh, Mycologist, am I saying that right? Yes. Mycologist, um, Dr. Patrick Hickey. Okay. He did a little experiment with a journalist on the BBC a few years ago and he pulled out some bread covered in small bits of white and blue mould. Yes. And he reckoned it would be, it'll be fine toasted once the moulded crusts have been cut off because the moulds don't go deep. Uh, The time you really need to be worried about bread is when it has black bits on it, he said. Yes. But you didn't toast it. I didn't toast it. So you halfway there. I can guarantee you there were no black bits on it. It was round the edge. I cut it off. I didn't toast it, is right. There might be traces in it. But I'm very happy. Dr. Patrick, thank you so much. <laughs> I just got a little contentment come over me there. I thought I was in trouble. Listen, it wouldn't be the first or last time I've eaten blue mould bread for sure. But he's right. When you see that black, those black dots in it and that, they run deep into the bread for sure. So there you are. If there's a whiff of blue put it in the toaster I'll put it under the grill and well after cutting off the bits after getting rid of the blue yeah. bits as well yeah that is very very important but this weather it's impossible and the other thing to say this weather don't be leaving your milk out for long or oh, you yeah. mentioned butter earlier any of the spreads or anything like that take mm. them out and put them back into the fridge leaving them out is a recipe for disaster your milk will be gone sour in jig time it really will and uh, there you are you can freeze or fridge the bread or whatever you want to do you were late lunch on LMFM radio coming up next Next on the show, we've spoken to her in the past. Liz Sanderman is joining us. She's on a visit to Carlingford recently, where, of course, Finn the Dolphin is a star attraction. We're going to chat next to Liz about dolphins. Fungi the Dolphin, well, he was synonymous with Kerry for years and years, but he's no more down there, yet his legacy lives on. But right here in the northeast in Carlingford Lock, we have our own fungi. His name is Finn and he's there quite a while now uh, knocking around the Carlingford Lock area and has become a tourist attraction too. But we've got to be cognizant that you're talking about wild special creatures here too and a degree of care is certainly needed. I'm delighted to welcome to Late Lunch this afternoon the founder of Marine Connection and Marine Connection is all about uh, protecting dolphins and whales in our inland waters uh, or offshore waters should I say. Liz Sanderman, great to talk to you today. Thank you for joining me. Pleasure. 
Pleasure, pleasure. Always a, always a pleasure to talk about dolphins. <laughs> and by the way, as a little aside, no pun intended, but you live in beautiful Bath in the UK. Does it feel like you need a cold bath, Liz, at the moment? It's very warm in the UK. I think the highest temperature yesterday was apparently around about 38. And um, I think it will be slightly higher today as well. Yeah, you've gone over the 40 just to let you know at Heathrow in London today, 40.2. And they think it might even be beaten before the day is out. That is certainly hot. What about dolphins in general sense? Water temperatures, how do they deal with it? What do they need in terms of water temperature? Do they move with the seasons or what? Um, It really depends on the actual dolphin population themselves. For example, we have, um, in the UK, we have um, a population of resident dolphins up in the Morifers um, who frequent the area all year long. And they are um, one of the largest bottlenose dolphins in the world because they need their thick blubber because obviously they're in very cold temperatures, especially in the in the winter um, and then you'll have dolphins that will live in much warmer waters in places like the Florida Keys so each dolphin it really just depends on uh, where they actually live but um, they don't really tend to have a problem mm. um, you know yes. whether, whether it's warm or, cold, uh, warm or cold Yes they live right around this planet in the different seas and oceans I know you uh, were on a trip recently to Carlingford uh, and Finn is familiar to you you. Uh, what did you make of him and his reputation that's growing all the time? Well, I, um, I've been monitoring um, Finn um, since he basically appeared um, around about March um, 2020, I think it was. Um, and then I got in touch with a gentleman called Nicky Donnelly who was um, kept me informed of, you know, the whereabouts of Finn and what he was up to and how, you know, any human interactions. Um, and when I was actually in um, Ireland recently, I took the opportunity of visiting the area to um, go out and see Finn for myself, which was extremely helpful um, because then if there's, you know, it gives me a better understanding of the actual location, mm. where swimmers go in from, where the boats go in from. Um, from Finn's welfare point of view, he's looking quite healthy, um, but it really is down to um, the locals and water users and the visiting public um, how long that dolphin will be in the area. And if they really give him the space that he needs, he can, he can stay in the area for years to come. So that's important to say that he'd be quite happy to remain there. But it's, again, us human and our interactions with nature and this particular dolphin that will determine how long he remains there. I've known in the past, and I've, I've, I've spoken about it here on the show, about issues where dolphins have been damaged with propellers of boats. They're spooked by a lot of people, you know, diving close to them. You mentioned the swimmers there as well. It's important to say to the general public that these creatures, as you said there yourself, need their space. And we've got to be careful on their behalf. No, absolutely. And what's quite interesting is when you get positive dolphins in an area, the public obviously love to see them. And working in this field myself for over 30 years, I understand how magical it is to see a wild dolphin or a pod of dolphins. But for some reason, when a solitary dolphin comes in, just the public 
you know, flock to, to, to the area to see them. And um, what they really, really have to understand is, you know, by interacting with the dolphin, not giving him his space, um, it can disrupt his resting, his feeding, um, and it really does, you know, ha- disrupt his natural behaviour pattern on a daily basis. So it's not really being a killjoy, especially somewhere where Finn is, the public can actually watch him from shore, yes. which is a really, really lovely thing to do. And that's an important point to bear in mind. I know people love being out in the water for the various pursuits, but you can see this fella from the shore and you're making no difference to his life, not disturbing him or anything like that. You mentioned he's solitary. Um, is that in their nature? Or you've uh, referred to pods in the past in the UK there in Florida, etc. Are they social creatures generally? Is a loner unusual? Um, they're very social creatures, and a solitary dolphin is quite unusual, um, but I think they're definitely on the increase. I mean, we have a new solitary in the UK at the moment. Um, what we tend to do, Marine Connection tends to do, is when we are alerted to a solitary dolphin, we don't tend to make it public. Um, we tend to, we prefer to keep the location as quiet as possible because before we know it, it will be all over social uh, media, which plays a huge part with regards to exposing the whereabouts of a new solitary dolphin. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we, we tend to, to keep it quite quiet. Mm. What are you talking about age span for a dolphin that's healthy and has plenty of access to food and isn't hassled too much by humankind? How long can they live for? Oh, they can, I mean, they can live to um, over 50 years of age. Mm. Uh, we don't really know how how old Finn is. Um, the only way that we would actually be able to have a rough idea how old Finn is is by extracting one of his teeth, which obviously we don't plan to do. Um, but, um, yes, I mean, you know, the most asked question really is why some individual dolphins leave their family pods to lead a solitary life and we will never really know. We've got absolutely no idea why, you know, the the, the displaced from the natal group, they end up on their own. Um, because, for example, Fungi in um, Dingo Bay, yeah. he was around that area for over 37 years. Mm. But many podsy dolphins used to come into the bay and he would interact with them when he was a, a little bit younger. When he got older, he wasn't really hugely interested. Um, apparently, although I haven't seen it myself, apparently Finn has been seen with some dolphins. Once again, doesn't go off with them. Um, and so does Dusty, um, another solitary dolphin that also um, frequents Irish waters. She's often seen with pods of dolphins, never goes off with them. Do you reckon Fungi just lived his life out in Dingle and passed away when he disappeared? Would that be the most logical conclusion? Absolutely. I really do put um, old age down to Fungi disappearing. And I personally think um, he's probably or could be somewhere in, in Dingle Bay. Yeah. Um, most dolphins and whales, they tend to sink to the bottom of the, of the seabed. So unless he, he was... I mean, I know divers went out um, having a look and they didn't find his body. So he could have been washed um, further offshore. Mm. But I really do think that it was just a case of old age um, with Fungi. 
So with Finn, he's not, um, I don't personally think he's, he's definitely an adult male, mm. um, but I don't think he's, he's, he's hugely an old, you know, like what we, I don't, you know, I'd maybe say he was maybe around about 10 or 12. Okay. Um, and, and I think the area um, is, is very lucky to have him. Mm, oh, absolutely. And, and it's caused a, a great stir and it brings people to the area as well uh, to see him. In, in a general sense, you are, of course, uh, really committed to these wonderful creatures and more besides. Do you come across many occasions where they're injured by boat propellers and other matters like nets and things like that? Um, sadly, we do. Um, the UK um, started having um, solitary dolphins appearing around its coastline in the 60s and sadly only last year uh, we lost a solitary dolphin in um, going by the name of Danny, um, who was killed by um, a ship a ship strike, a vessel strike. Now this dolphin actually knew that vessel. Um, the skipper wasn't at fault. But what we what happens to um, a solitary dolphin? And Finn has gone through this um, these stages. We call them the habituation stages, where when a dolphin comes in. Um, for example, Finn, when he came in, he very much kept his distance from the public, any boats, and then over the months, they just lose their wariness, and especially over the years. Um, so far, so good with Finn. He hasn't really suffered any major injuries. Um, but with sadly Danny, who was similar to Finn, he was a male bottlenose dolphin. Um, he lost his life only last year to a vessel strike, and we have actually lost quite a few solitary dolphins this way. Stephen, thank you indeed. Stephen's been in touch with us and he's familiar with Finn and obviously he's uh, uh, been in the area and loves this dolphin. But he's just sent us in a video of a boat recently pestering Finn. He circled round him very close to him for about 40 minutes. That type of behaviour is not acceptable, is it? It's not acceptable, and what I would like to say to your caller, if uh, we won't use it for public use, but if he would like to send that footage or any of your callers who actually um, film any vessels um, harassing uh, the dolphin, then we would definitely, definitely like to see it. Um, it just really depends on the vessel itself. Some of the public might think the, the, the vessel isn't behaving correctly, and it is, but most of the time it isn't. Mm. Um, I mean, with Finn living, currently living in Irish waters, he is actually protected um, under the Wildlife Act, and he's also under a number of international directives and agreements. Um, which Ireland is signatory to. So he is a protected dolphin. So as I say, if the call is listening, I would love to see this footage and I will take that up. And where can they send it to you, Liz? Um, if they actually send it through our website. So our website is um, marineconnection.org and then we also have a contact section. And for those that are really interested in solitary dolphins, um, we also have a specific page all about solitary dolphins in Wales. So marineconnection.org, Stephen, if you want to send that on, uh, Liz would be very keen to see it. Well done to you. He has it. I'm looking at it here myself. He's done a great job with it and you can uh, judge for yourself, Liz, when you see it. But uh, again, we say, and I've mentioned this about Finn in the past, give him his space. He'll be there for years with you. Loads of people will be able to enjoy him from the shore and out on the sea as well. But uh, close contact like that for long periods of time, circling around him, will do no good whatsoever. The magnificent creatures, aren't they, Liz? 
They, they are very, very majestic creatures. And I would just like to emphasize that humans like their personal space. Um, and so does Finn the dolphin. Oh, he needs yes. his personal space. And it's a case of, um, you know, reading uh, the dolphin's, um, you know, body language. Um, the certain time when he's arching, that means he's feeding. Um, when he's logging on the water, then he's resting. And it's critical that no vessels disturb him, uh, swimmers don't disturb him. Um, and, and that's really, really important. He has more footage. Um, that Stephen's just been back on to say he has more interesting stuff. And again, I'll just remind him, marineconnection.org, marineconnection.org. Go on ahead, Liz, go on. No, I was going to say, and also what we find really um, helpful is when a solitary dolphin comes into an area, uh, we find it essential to work with the locals. So I'd really also like to say a big thank you to uh, Peter and Anne from Carlingford Loch in the Cooley Peninsula Facebook because they've really helped to um, raise awareness about Finn and and the protection that he he you know he he deserves basically. So. I just yes. wanted to, to say that, that it's very, very important working with the locals and working with the local authorities. Yes, and I want to reiterate that as well. Well done to all concerned. You're talking about Peter Larkin there and Anne, and you mentioned Nicky Donnelly there, of course, earlier on. Keep yes. doing what you do, Liz. It's uh, wonderful. And thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you. And I also just want to say a very thank you to Infinity, the Infinity Boat Company, for taking me out. They donated the time and they donated the fuel. No bother. Thanks indeed, Liz. Talk to you again sometime. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's Liz Sanderman there speaking to us from Bath in England. MarineConnection.org. Check her out. Irene Cara and Flashdance. What a feeling on your late lunch. Just reminding you that LMFM's Pride Vibes is live. It's our new online radio station playing the biggest hits and shining a light on Irish life with conversations around the issues that matter. Join us as we count down to parades and celebrations across Ireland. Stream it on the LMFM website or app and you can get more information at pridevibes.ie and supported by Volterol, the joy of movement. You can listen live now on lmfm.ie. Louise, I think I've had enough a Love Island, to be honest with you. I, th- I think I'm done with it. It's finishing when? The Monday, is it? No, the first, is it the first First of August, I think, as well. Oh, yeah. I'm sort of getting bored <sighs> with it now. Yeah, I'm kind of flicking through. I'm kind yeah, of... Yeah. Fast-forwarding bits and... I don't know. I don't know. It's Who's going to win? I'll still, go, go, I'll still stand by Ek and Sue and Davide. Do you think so? Mm, yeah. Do you know the song Peggy I, Sue? But it's, see, it's getting too close to the end for them to split up and f- try and find mm. somebody else. Way too close. So nobody, they're all hedging their bets at this stage, you know. That boy that came in won't win, will he? With Paige? No. I doubt it. I hope not. I definitely hope I not. Yeah. Uh, and yes. see, that guy Deji now is trying his best to just get in there to forge a mm. relationship to stay in the show because mm. he's out the next time. Yeah, for sure. He's gone. <laughs> out the door, there's no doubt about that. But uh, uh, yeah, do you know the song Peggy Sue? Peggy Sue, it's an mm, old one. Yeah. Yeah. They'll be writing that, rewriting it for Eck and Sue. <laughs> I'm just thinking about that. They could make a great version for Eck and Sue. What and did you say about it the other day? She's as fake as Louis Vuitton from China. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> <Dabby Dutch. laughs> 
romantic, wasn't it? Yeah. He still loves her, I'd say, and she loves him too. But anyway, watch Not this Not a bit space. of it. They love the 50 grand oh, making win. Don't, well, isn't it all about the spondulux? There's no doubt about that. Anyway, coming up on Late Lunch after three, Cat Stevens is my artist of the week. And we're going to have a chat and a song from Meath-based singer-songwriter and audio engineer with Sony Music, would you believe, Lisa Murray. My artist of the week all this week on Late Lunch is Cat Stevens. And as I mentioned yesterday, Stevens was lucky to survive TB. He spent months in hospital recovering and a full year afterwards convalescing, which totally changed his whole perspective on life. He researched religion, became a vegetarian, took up meditation and yoga and wrote a raft of new songs. And indeed, he took control of his career, leaving Decca Records and its constrictions to sign with Ireland, who gave him total freedom to record his songs in his own inimitable way. It was the early 70s now, and when he released the album Tea for the Tillerman, Well, that was a defining moment for him. He was on his way then to international success with it, the album and its subsequent tracks, uh, which he released as a number of singles. Chart success flowed on both sides of the Atlantic and elsewhere in the world. And indeed, the 70s was Cat Stevens' time to shine. And with the release of Back to Earth later on the 70s, 1978, the curtain came down on Cat Stevens' career. Yes, it did. You see, what happened was another incident in his life. He almost drowned while on holidays in California. And while he was actually drowning in the water, he talks about this extensively. He just said to God, save my life and I'll work for you. And he was saved. A wave came from nowhere, he said, and took him back in. And he didn't drown. And he always believed that it was the man above that carried him to safety. In the late 70s, uh, he converted to the Muslim faith and changed his name to Yusuf Islam. And believe it or not, that was where his music career ended at that stage. He abandoned music entirely for almost two decades. But he did come back and I'll tell you more about that as the week goes on. So let's remind ourselves of what the world lost for a time back then with this one. Cat Stevens, my artist of the week on Late Lunch. Timeless, wonderful, wonderful music and more about the man himself and his music this time tomorrow. Final break of the afternoon and we're back with Lisa with the Fringe. I love her name, Lisa with the Fringe. Hello, Lisa Murray. Hi, how are you, Jerry? Thanks for having me. <laughs> Not at all. Lisa with the Fringe. I love your Fringe too, I have to say. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks very much, yeah. There's actually such a funny story behind how I got that name. I, when I was in college, um, a group of guys who were living in halls across the road from me started calling me Lisa with the Fringe. And I just thought that there was another girl called Lisa 
in the halls. And I was like, oh, who's the other girl called Lisa? And they said, oh, there isn't one. We just think that we need to mention your fringe whenever we talk about you because it's such a big part of your appearance. (laughs) Ah, well done to them. It's a lovely name and it's beautiful, I have to say, and it suits you completely. And check this young woman out uh, on Instagram, Lisa with the Fringe, folks. Anyway, you're making waves in the music industry in more ways than one because you work at at this game, don't you, full-time? Yeah, I do. I work full-time at Sony Music as an audio engineer in London. Great. And that means that you can then produce and mix your own stuff. That's special, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Oh, it makes such a big difference. And it's, it's so fun to be a part of every stage of the creative process when I'm making my songs as well. And your songs are on the money, letter, let me tell listeners today. <laughs> and we're going to hear the new one in a few moments. But I love the previous one. I unfollowed you. Oh, yeah. that's that's certainly something a lot of people do. What was the thinking behind that one? Yeah, so during, that, uh, during the summer of COVID, I was sitting outside of one of my friends and we started chatting about people who we've unfollowed on Instagram. She showed me that you can see that there's a list of people who you use it on Instagram, so you can actually mute somebody as well as unfollow them. So you're still following them, but their posts don't come up. And we were just having a hilarious conversation about people that we knew and that people that we've unfollowed and followed and who unfollowed us and all this stuff. And the next day, I just woke up with a song idea in my head for Ion Anthology because I think it's something that so many people are doing in this day and age with everything yeah. being online, especially during the pandemic. It became such a big part of everyone's lives, like the drama of following people, unfollowing people. And yeah, I put the song together kind of in, in a couple of hours. Um, and then when, the more people I played it for, the more I realized that it was really striking a chord with people. Mm. And every time I played it for somebody new before it came out, they were like, oh, do you know that such and such doesn't actually follow me anymore? And this person and this person, they don't follow each other. And it, it was such an interesting one because it sparked so many conversations around the whole idea of social media and all that. And people loved it. It was iRadio's uh, I Love Irish Track of the Month. It made yeah, its it mark was. on spin. It had over three million radio impacts. Young woman, yeah. you are going places for sure. Oh, we'll, come, so we'll come on to the new one in a moment. You're from Gibbstown, so obviously you're a Gale Gore. You started, yeah. uh, picked up the piano at seven. Is that a family thing or were you the first to go musically in the in the clan? Well, all of my aunties and uncles are amazing musicians. Um, my uncles do a Johnny Cash tribute band and all my uncles play gigs all around me in different parts of Ireland. And music was kind of always in the family. And when I started learning piano at seven, I just I just took to it and I absolutely loved it. And within a couple of years, I was, you know, not practicing the tunes I was supposed to be practicing for my exams, but I was making up new little melodies here and there and kind of putting together my own songs and that kind of thing from quite an early age. And I just absolutely fell in love with music and making it and, and playing music with people and everything. And it's just, mm. it's just my passion, you know. And you talk about your influences and it's amazing, really, from ELO to Seagrid, from Fleetwood Mac to Taylor Swift. By God, your influences span the generations. I know. And I, ha- I have my dad to blame for a lot of that. Whenever we'd go in the car driving, he would... He would play Fleetwood Mac and Electric Light Orchestra and just all this amazing music from back in the day. And I just absolutely fell in love with all the arrangements and, and the way the things are put together and the lyrics and everything. But I also love all the modern stuff that I would have heard on the radio, my generation, that kind of thing. So I really have a huge variety of musical influences and, and, and musicians that I look up to. 
I like you more and more because you're my kind of gal. Don't knock dad's music. Never knock dad's music. It's, it's the very... best music. Ah, dad's ah. music is the best music. You're saying all the right things, let me say, <laughs> this afternoon on, on late lunch for me anyway. But uh, 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 when you go back to you and music as well, you went to Trinity. Tell us what you did there and then on to the famous Berkeley College of Music. Yeah, so I studied um, music and Irish in Trinity. When I came to when I came to deciding on my degree, I just knew I had to pursue the music. And because I'm a Gaelgore heart, and I've been I've been speaking Irish since I was a child, I just knew I wanted to pursue that further and study literature and study all of the different parts of Irish as well. So I studied both subjects um, for my undergrad degree. And the music course in Trinity now it's very intense. It's a lot of very old music, like medieval Renaissance music, and uh, counterpoint from the 15th century. It was very, um, it was very intensive and very academic. Um, and then in the last two years of my degree, I then pivoted into you could major in music production. Mm. So um, I went into the music production and technology side of things, and I learned how to code my music and how to do mixes and recordings and everything, um, which was absolutely fantastic. And I really loved that whole part of the course. And then that led on then to me applying to. Berkeley College of Music to study for my master's at their campus in Spain. They have a, it's the college is based in Boston, but they do their master's programs in mm. Valencia. And I got a, a huge scholarship to go and study there, which is amazing because it's a, it's an American university, so it was very expensive the the program. But I got to go on a scholarship, which is amazing, um, and that's very kind of really fine tuned my music production, my mixing, and all that kind of stuff, and recording, and even songwriting as well, because I worked on a lot of my own music while I was at Berkeley as well. Mm, you have a wonderful experience, even at such a, a young age, may I say, uh, under your belt. What about women in music and uh, making your way in this industry? It's 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 a tough ask, isn't it? I don't have to tell you that being involved on in the other side of things. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's certainly not easy for for a lot of girls or women starting out because they don't they don't really think that they could get up and and you know, operate a mixing console or they don't really feel like they don't see a lot of women getting up and running a studio session and they don't think, oh, this is the kind of thing that I would like to do, which is why I'm really passionate about kind of spreading the word about um, female empowerment and empowering gender minorities in the music industry. I work as the chapter director of She Said So Dublin and we're actually having a meetup tomorrow night um, in Whelan's in Dublin. And we just, it's a space for women to connect and get to know each other and chat about the similar experiences that they've had. Because mm. a lot of people work freelance, they kind of work on their own, they don't really have a team. And if they do have a team, there's quite often very few women on the team with them. So we just like to foster a bit of a community between the women in the Irish music industry and yes. have them getting to know each other and, and having a bit of a support structure there for them. Good on you. You have 30 seconds to introduce your new song, If Ever I See You Again. Go on, tell us quickly what it's about and we're going to hear it. And thank you for joining me and all the very best. Thanks so much. This is my new song, If I Ever See You Again. It's all about the miscommunication when lovers part ways and what you would say to somebody if you ever saw them again. You're a star, Lisa. Good luck to you, Lisa Murray. Great to catch up with you today and let's hear what it's all about. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much, Jerry. Bye. Bye. Here she is, finishing out late lunch today with the young woman from Gibstown. See you half one tomorrow. To be dramatic until the other night I saw you dance with her Everything after that is a blur I had to leave Cause secretly I'd like to be yours 
Discover the all-new Opal Mocha, featuring Opal's iconic new signature visor, stunning Opal Pure Panel, and a choice of petrol, diesel, or fully electric. The new Opal Mocha is less normal, more Mocha. Visit BlackstoneMotors.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the story of the one. 
As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.